0: I was a man with this whole part of my body missing. You know, like this whole part was gone and I'm just living like, you know, being a nice guy on the outside and whatever, but I think like the true heart and soul of me was not there. I felt no worth anymore. I thought I was like the life flashing before your eyes or feeling like dead, like my whole livelihood was dead. So why get dressed again? Why take a shower? I'm I'm worthless right now. I was searching for an answer to why I screwed up, or why I was living the way I was living. And I didn't know there was an answer out there for that.
1: You know, our heart here is we want to see as many healthy evangelical churches in our community and in all the communities of central Wisconsin as we possibly can. Uh, We're not in competition with other churches, so the passion is always to see a multiplication of healthy churches. Uh, We felt in Wisconsin Rapids there were far more unreached people than there were reached people, and lots of room for another good, evangelical, healthy church. The opportunity to try and impact people in Wisconsin Rapids to try and reach more people, uh, it, I think it fairly quickly made sense. Our church has always had a heart to do outreach. And so when the opportunity came up to do that and it became a very doable kind of thing, I think that it was an easy sell to the church. It wasn't hard, the church was easily behind it. A friend, uh, Doug, who's from the Wisconsin Rapids area, and I uh, started searching for a site. Uh, actually, Doug and I were driving by the Shopco Mall, which was, at that time, pretty much abandoned. I think he called me, or I called him, and we said, hey, what about the mall? Found out that it was bank repossessed, it was available, and and God provided that at a, at a price that was kind of a God thing, right there, an open door. We launched Crossview in Wisconsin Rapids in 2017, celebrating that Now there was a vibrant church in Wisconsin Rapids.
0: Basically knew the church was here like I knew Shopko was next door, right? It's a storefront, Crossview Church, Shopko, cops That's all I knew about the church. I guess what caught my attention was it was different. There wasn't steeples and stained glass. Right, it was semi less intimidating than maybe a grand entrance church. It did come in here like not presentable how I would normally be because I was just like, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing, but let's go check this out. I came to church on Sunday and to seek out a pastor to talk to. And I went into the office after that service and made an appointment, and I met with Dan, and he explained the gospel and the story of redemption, and... Gave my life to Jesus in his office that day. And that was the connection that we had. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think church multiplication is incredibly important because the church is the vehicle that God has chosen to use to reach the world. It's not enough just to help someone um, come to faith in Christ. They have to be connected to a church family. If anyone as an individual or any church is considering being involved in a church plant, a multi-site, I think you should go for it because God's gonna use them as he's used them in the past. Not everyone can fit into the walls that we have here. Or the walls that you may have, wherever you are. So we need everyone to be looking
0: to multiply mm-hmm. new churches to reach new people. I guess if it wasn't for Crossview, I don't, I don't know how I would have came out of my brokenness. Two years ago, when I did give my life to Jesus Christ in Pastor Dan's office, I've come to church every Sunday with my family. <laughs> so it's like. How wild is that, right? That brokenness led to being a Christian leader in my family now. I had no idea that something could change someone's perspective on their life, you know? That's so fresh and amazing. It's it's overwhelming how amazing it is.
2: Praise the Lord. Uh, many of you are familiar with that story because that video was released actually nationwide as we encouraged churches uh, last weekend to join together in praying for the multiplication of churches uh, through the FCA. And uh, just wanted to share that video just to kind of celebrate this, this uh, great commission advance that we long to see happen as we long to make disciples uh, in every context possible. Um, one thing that I did wanna share as well is uh, as a national team that I'm on, um, we, we came up with this desire to have uh, annual recognition of church planting and to pray to that end for the advance of church planting for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we recognize that that uh, this great desire that we have to see more churches planted, that the only way we, we really can do that is, is if people would would join us, uh, believers and our churches would, would really commit to joining with us in praying for more workers for the harvest, right? We know that's a biblical command for us to do. And, uh, but I do also recognize that, that a lot of you, your programming doesn't allow you to have, say, that one specific Sunday set aside. And so my encouragement to you is, even if you can't, uh, on our National Church Multiplication Sunday, uh, show a video and have a structured time of prayer for the movement of the EFCA and the multiplication movement we long for, just find time in your series or if you're doing a service on, on a mission, to to just take some time and set aside time in your service to pray for us and to pray for just this broader partnership that you're working with to see the gospel go not only to the neighborhoods and to the cities and townships uh, in Wisconsin, but also to the ends of the earth. Well, on that note, I want to invite Pastor Mike to come on up because one thing you may not know about Crossway Church is that from the very earliest days, at least to my knowledge, of your inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, planting churches has been part of the DNA and culture, things you've talked about. Mm-hmm. So I just want to invite Mike up to just, first of all, tell us a little bit about what's your experience been mm-hmm. in church planting and where are you going in that regard? Yeah, so
3: we just celebrated our uh, 20th anniversary as a church this last year. We've been Uh, in existence for that long and from the beginning as you said scott one of the things we wanted to do was to to be about planting churches so it was about i want to say six maybe eight years in where we planted our first church Uh, we're in kenosha um, just right off i-94 as you about to cross the cheddar curtain down into illinois Um, so but we're out on the west side of the interstate and so there's a huge gap between us and real kenosha Um, We knew from the beginning that people were not likely going to travel from the inner city out to us. And so there was a burden from the beginning. We need to go in there. Um, But even before that, there was a young man that that, um, was a student at Trinity. He was with us. We were building into him, mentoring him, and he had a burden for Milwaukee. And so because he was very involved in our church and he was leading one of our small groups, there were people that were connecting to him and he was having an influence in terms of mentoring them. And so as he began to talk about his desire to plant a church in a specific location, we thought, okay, we'll send him up to Milwaukee. And so we sent, I think it was about 50 people with him. That was our first church plant. But we still had this vision for going into the inner city, but we didn't have a guy, at least an identified guy. And so we just kept talking about it as elders, we talked about it as a church, until finally one of the guys on our pastoral team said, I think I'm supposed to go. And uh, sure enough, our youth pastor um, stepped forward and we went through a process with him. Now we learned some things in both of those situations um, because both of those would be defined as more traditional church plants, where there's a guy and a group of people that go with them and we send them out And pretty much from the beginning, they're an independent church. We don't think we'll do that again. There were some choppy waters in both of those uh, church plants that we think could have been avoided had there been a greater oversight from the mother church. So we've transitioned now, looking forward, Scott, we've transitioned. One of the things that, let me back up here, we we have this thing we call crossway multiply. Uh, We're trying to multiply in three different levels, disciples, groups, and local churches. And so when it comes to local churches, we recognize there's a lot of avenues to get to our goal of many flourishing churches. I loved what we just saw there. New churches to reach new people. I would add to that many new churches to reach many new people. The more churches, I think the more effective we'll be. And so our goal is to have many flourishing churches in the greater kind of southeastern Wisconsin area. But we recognize there's several avenues to get there. One is a traditional church plant, like we've done. Um, One might be a pioneering work. In fact, we're engaged right now in a pioneering work going into a tough part of the city, and we're just gonna take as much time as it takes. But we've got a guy, we've got a church planting residency. We'll support him as long as it takes for him to get something going as a pioneering work. But the the main way that we're thinking about now is what we're calling incubating churches, which will be um, kind of like traditional church plants, except a longer period of time to go from dependence to independence. So that we're gonna, maybe even under our elder board, um, we'll have other support structures, finances, uh, a lot of things to help a, a young church that doesn't have the resources yet to do that. And so that's our vision going forward. And uh, we're praying for three, we want to be very careful not to put numbers out there. We want to have this many, we want to, we want to pay attention to what God's doing. But at the same time, we want to have some, we're trying to plant three churches in the next five years.
2: Wow. I love the intentionality of that. Um, One question I've got is just, what role does leadership development uh, play in this? And, And what are you doing in that regard?
3: Yeah, it's huge, because um, at some point, you've got to have a church planter. You've got to have a guy leading the church. And so if we're going to be about church planting, we have to be about developing leaders. Now, we have, we're so grateful to God for this. We have a proximity to Trinity, and so our church attracts Trinity students. And it didn't take us too long. We were a little slow in the uptake, but it didn't take us too long to realize, right after we planted Crossway, hey, there's a bunch of Trinity students here. Uh, I guess that means something. We have a stewardship here. And so we began what we call our crossway pastoral training course. Um, It's not designed to replace Trinity. We're trying to come alongside Trinity and Moody and other schools like that and provide for the guys attention to their personal character, provide pastoral care, provide relationships so that we can see these guys and now be a part of their deployment. And of course, um, a lot of them end up serving our vision of church planting, and we, we love what God's doing there.
2: That's super yeah. exciting. Um, well, I know that didn't happen in a day. It didn't, mm-hmm. you know, even in years, even as you planted it, that sounds like that vision for multiplying and developing yeah. and yeah. sending, it kind of grew. Right. And my question for you is just for the pastors here who are in churches that maybe have never had that vision before, right. or perhaps they have it, but leaders don't. Right. What, what steps do you suggest they take as they seek to become a church that is more involved in
3: multiplying? Yeah, um, it takes a lot of patience. And, but uh, you know, before the patience, it takes uh, personal vision. You know, if you're not excited about it, don't try to get other people excited about it. That's, that's going to ring false pretty quick. Um, so you've got to do a gut check first. Am I genuinely committed to this thing called multiplication? Is this part of what I'm excited about? People will get excited about what you're excited about. Um, uh, I think I mentioned this morning, leadership is influence, and your influence is your life. And so if you are genuinely excited about that and God's put you in a position of leadership over people, you can just, you can count on, maybe not everybody, maybe not to the same degree, but they're going to they're catch it. So the, the, the first question is, is it real in me? And then I love this little phrase. This is a great um, summary of pastoral ministry. Remember when Paul says to Timothy, with great patience and careful instruction. And so you got an excitement about something now. You cannot expect other people to be on the same timeline as you. But with great patience and careful instruction, just keep teaching, keep teaching, keep teaching. And the the combination of your example and your teaching, I think, is going to lead enough people into excitement about this that God will use it.
2: And one final question. What convinced you that this was going to be Uh, your calling and and, and why it fits with the Great Commission? You mean the multiplication part? Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, The Bible? (laughs) Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I know that should be enough. Um, but the Bible and also a couple other well-placed guys okay. who okay. who came along and graciously said, uh, we need to be more intentional about this. Amen.
2: Yeah. Amen. So. Well, praise God. Thank yep. you, mm-hmm. Mike. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you sharing. So just to, to wrap up my section here before we begin our time of worship together, I just want to... Um, let you know that we long to see the the culture of multiplication really take deeper root within our district. One way that we're seeking to do this is by creating a multiplying together covenant. Some of you have heard of this before, but what the idea is going to be is on November 5th, we're inviting any leaders who are willing to kind of step into these waters to bring to a meeting that's going to be here at Redeemer City Church in Fitchburg. Uh, just a day meeting, going to bring a plan for how is it that you as a leader in your church are going to intentionally make disciples, develop leaders, and participate in the planting of churches. And if that's something that you're interested in seeing grow as a culture in your church, this opportunity is for you. So you'll bring whatever plan that you have, however stage in infancy it may be, And we're going to be breaking up in small groups and sharing our plans with one another and just encouraging one another in how it is we can see gospel multiplication take place as we seek to to, to really follow Great Commission ministry to its very end. So be watching out for a a district-wide email with more information on that, and I hope many of you would be willing to come and be part of that. Well, let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to go to prayer, but I want to mention first um, before I do that, that those of you who know George Clipness, he was the really the for decades the, the, the grandfather, I guess, now of, of church planting in the EFCA. And he uh, he stepped down from his role as the national director some uh, many years ago. But he uh, passed away this last weekend. And so uh, I knew him just a bit. But I just want to, as I pray and then as we launch into music, I just wanted to remember his family in our prayers. And then also just continue to ask the Lord to, to work through our time. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how it is uh, your mercy and grace reached down into our story and uh, really grabbed a hold of our hearts. And every one of us, I think, uh, at least the majority of us here today are here because we know what it means to be lost and to be found and have new life in you and and to be so grateful and thankful for that, that we've given our lives to see your church built and to serve the Great Commission work of of just telling the good news to all people. And Father, we just wanna be a part of that and so pray that you would help us to take a hold of what that means for us as leaders. And Father, I thank you that George Clipness was a picture of that. And uh, Father, that that he was a leader in a time in which a, a great deal of multiplication took place across the nation that was just resulted in many of the churches that are in this room represented are here today be, uh, through his leadership. And so we just pray for his, his children and, and just, Father, uh, just the preparations and those many loved ones who knew and cared for him. Father, that you might just comfort them in grieving and, and in the hope of heaven that he is now reunited with his wife and, and Father, just celebrating uh, with the angels. And so we just thank you for that and just pray you'd continue to be in our time of worship now as we bring our praises to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Well, it is sweet to be able to sing together. And I trust that we sense a sweetness and be able to be under the word together as well. I think we all recognize um, this is the most challenging session of the day. Um, We all have lunch in our bellies. And we have... (laughs) thoughts of naps in our minds I just want you to know I can see you (laughs) I asked Rob if I could borrow some of those tennis balls for a slightly different purpose but he was a he was a little reluctant to let those go so let me just uh, review the logic of our sessions remember our topic is gospel-centered discipleship I made the statement this morning that we better not talk about discipleship until we've got ourselves on the right foundation. And so gospel and word, gospel grounded, gospel centered, word grounded, word driven discipleship. And with those things under our feet from this morning, we come now explicitly to this question of discipleship. You know, you can feel like you're in a little bit of a dilemma when you're asked to speak about something like this, because you realize you've got a lot of room to grow yourself. In fact, not long ago on a team retreat, um, as we were thinking about where we need to kind of press in and make some progress, this was an area that all of us on our pastoral team agreed was weak. And so, over the last two years, we have, as a team, given this very focused attention. We're thinking about discipleship. We're praying about discipleship. We're trying to take steps toward cultivating a culture of discipleship. And we're still engaged in that. We're still trying to work out how best, as pastors, to be engaged in fruitful discipleship ourselves, and also in cultivating fruitful discipleship among our people we're taking steps and what I want to share in this session is not so much things we're doing as convictions that we're operating on Um, and the very first and foundational conviction when it comes to discipling as a pastor as a ministry leader is this you cannot make disciples without first being a disciple I don't want that to go without saying. You cannot, you cannot make disciples without first really being a disciple. There is, I'm assuming assuming you've encountered this uh, too in some way or another, there is a, a renewed wave in evangelicalism of interest in discipleship. I have seen it in young people who are at our church and their mindset. And we've felt it on our own pastoral team. It comes up when you talk to other guys in ministry. What are you doing about discipleship? How are you thinking about discipleship? What resources for discipleship? It's the reason for the focus of this conference. Um, There is an interest in a sense of need for us as people in ministry, pastors, ministry leaders, to not just be kind of busy managing the business of the church but investing, intentionally investing, relationally investing, biblically investing through more than just our preaching into the lives of others to encourage them onto maturity and fruitful investing in other people's lives. And there is this, this renewed interest, this sense of need for the focus on discipleship as a critical piece of pastoral ministry and other ministry. Let me read something for you from the back of a recent book on discipleship that captures this. This is from Mike Breen's book, uh, Building a Discipleship Culture. He says, the truth of the matter is that we don't fundamentally have a missional problem or a leadership problem in the Western world. We have a discipleship problem. If we make disciples like Jesus made them, we'll never have a problem finding leaders or seeing new people come to faith. You know, you hear that, you read that, and it has the ring of truth about it, especially that part, that Jesus part. If we make disciples like Jesus makes, made disciples. Or listen to this. This is from another recent book. This is from Randy Pope's book, uh, Insourcing. He says, regardless of how you veil it, spiritual formation through life-on-life discipleship is one of the topics that will never go away. It's just too biblical. You read that and you realize it has the ring of truth about it, and the part that rings true is that biblical part. Now, we sit here as busy pastors and ministry leaders, very busy. And yet, still, there is something in us that says we cannot ignore this. Discipleship does need to be in the picture of my pastoring. Discipleship does need to be in the picture of my ministry leading more than just through my preaching or through my promoting small groups. But as soon as you find yourself saying yes to that, a big question comes up, and I'm guessing it's come up in your mind in some form, and it's this. What exactly is discipleship? What exactly are we talking about when we use that word Discipleship. So let me just take a moment at the outset here to try to put some handles on that word for us. It will help us as we talk about this to know, to have in our minds the fact that when that word gets used, it can be used to talk about two different things. The word discipleship can be used, it does get used to talk about someone being a disciple. It's almost like a definition of the Christian life it's a life of discipleship, me following Jesus. And the word discipleship can be used. It does get used to talk about someone encouraging someone else. This is something we do with others. We're in a discipleship relationship with them. We're discipling them. Now, both of those things are hugely important in a discipleship culture which your church should have. So think of that word discipleship kind of like a banner. And underneath that banner are two things. Being disciples and making disciples. Being, you and me, following Jesus, growing in our discipleship to Christ and making, introducing people to Jesus, helping them grow, teaching them to obey. And it's those two things that I want us to address now in these two sessions this afternoon. Being a disciple and making disciples. Discipleship is first and foremost a description, a naming of the nature of my relationship with Jesus. It's me following Jesus. When Jesus called you, he called you into something. Your coming to Jesus is not just being translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's not just your ticket to heaven. No, Jesus has called you to something. And it's not some safe and cozy kind of life. Nor is it, on the other hand, some demanding, stressful, crazy busy kind of life. Now, when Jesus called you, he calls you to himself. And that, all that that means, we call discipleship. Discipleship, then, is investing in others toward their discipleship, which Jesus calls us to do, which means disciple-making is part of being A disciple, like praying, like pursuing holiness. And that is part of our job description as pastors, as ministry leaders, doing the work of an evangelist, equipping the saints to build up the body of Christ toward maturity. Now, that differentiation raises a really important issue. In fact, an issue that is fundamental to everything that I'm going to say uh, in these next two sessions. We're disciples. We are disciples first. We're disciple-makers second. Or to rephrase it slightly, and I hope more to the point, we're not first pastors or ministry leaders. We're first disciples of Jesus. I think there's a particular danger that we face as pastors or ministry leaders, and the danger is that we let our primary identity slide too easily to pastor or to ministry leader. And when that happens, both our disciple-making and our own discipleship can become professionalized. We start talking about discipleship only through the lens of our pastoring. Listen, we're not called to discipleship as a consequence of our being pastors or ministry leaders. No, being a pastor is a particular way that God has called you to walk out your discipleship and a particular means by which he has called you to be engaged in disciple-making. You following me? Don't be a professional disciple. There can always be this tendency with us to slip into professional discipleship. Disciple first. That's why the two different titles for these sessions. First, being one, the pastor, ministry leader as disciple Second, making many, the pastor leader as disciple maker. So in this this first of these two sessions on discipleship, I now with kind of, I hope a greater awareness and vigilance on our parts, I wanna focus on being a disciple. Remember that conviction that I started, I stated earlier, you, you cannot make disciples without first being a disciple. And let's not make the mistake of thinking, you know, okay, okay, I'll be a disciple, but then I'll leverage that in my pastoring. No, that's a slip back into professional discipleship. Let God leverage your discipleship. Let us be disciples purely out of love for Jesus. So what I wanna do is to just get a picture of what that looks like. There's, there's a wide variety of approaches that we could take here to ground and to shape our understanding of being a disciple, what I want us to do is to take a kind of gospel biographical approach, something that is presented explicitly to us in the Bible to help us see discipleship emerge and how it emerges in a particular person's life, and that person is Peter. As you read through the Gospel of John, we are seeing the making of a disciple right before our eyes. The coming into being in Peter's life of what Jesus is calling us all to be. And as we read, John, we can watch and see it happen and be instructed very specifically on what it means to be a disciple. And then we know what Jesus says, right? At the end of the Gospels, he says, what I did with you, you now go and do with others go and make disciples. And so as we look first at what it means to be a disciple, let's look at Peter. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. There is a thread I want us to follow here. It's the Peter thread. We're going to do a whirlwind tour of the Gospel of John. We pick it up first in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means... Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Uh, Here is Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Peter comes to Jesus. Actually, he's brought to Jesus. It's their introduction. And from this point on, in John's gospel, Peter is spending time with Jesus. He's coming to know Jesus. We see this in chapter 2, for example, verses 1 and 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. We see the same thing later in chapter 2 in the temple, where they're there observing what Jesus is doing. We see it referenced in verse 17. And it just keeps going on like this. Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Peter, along with the other disciples, with Jesus, watching Jesus, learning from Jesus. See the same thing in chapter 6. Flip over there, chapter 6, verse 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, that's going to be really important because of something that happens later in chapter 6. In fact, look down at verse 66 of that same chapter. I mentioned this this morning, Jesus has been teaching this hard teaching for people to accept, for them even to comprehend. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's not speaking of the 12. We'll see that's pretty clear in just a moment. In fact, look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. Now, I point to this because clearly, prior to that moment, something had happened. Over the time that Peter has been with Jesus, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, something happened. There's been some recognition on the part of Peter. Peter has seen Jesus glory do you see that in verse 69 we have believed and we have come to know that you are the holy one of God the recognition has it has progressed into commitment even love we could say from the time that he met Jesus back in chapter one we don't ex- don't know exactly how long it's been probably a matter of months but this process This process, I mean, it can be fast or slow. It varies from case to case. But over this time, there's been this process of knowing Jesus turning into a commitment to Jesus. That's where Peter is now. He's saying, no, I'm with you. I'm not going away. I know who you are. I know what you give. I'm staying with you. And that leads Peter into an even fuller, and deeper discipleship. Not just loving Jesus, but now shaping his life around Jesus such that his life, the way he lives, is increasingly formed by his relationship with Jesus. But as we know, that's going to involve some struggle, right? I mean, he's got to deal with some things in himself. He's committed but his way of thinking of himself and his way of relating to others and what he lives for, that's all in the process of being changed, formed, more and more to Jesus. So we watch this process, this very painful process of going from loving to following his life being formed. Look with me at chapter 13. You know this scene, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and Jesus is washing their feet Chapter 13, verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So here's, I mean, here's this enthusiasm on Peter's part, and Jesus needs to teach him, but Peter wants to learn. He wants to grow. I mean, many times Jesus needs to teach him. How many times Jesus says to Peter, no, Peter, (laughs) not that way. This is not how you do things. Put away the domineering spirit, Peter. Put away your sword, Peter. But then watch what happens. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And sadly, we know this, that happened. Chapter 18, look there. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did the other disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door... So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of this man's disciples, aren't you? And he said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Skip down to verse 25 now. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. He said, I'm not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Now, the other gospels tell us that right after this, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And if you've ever been where Peter is, you know what that's like. See, Peter's on this path. He's having his life formed. He's following. And as he's following, he's stumbling. And here is a particularly painful time. He stumbled in a big way. It's not an overstatement to say he is grief-stricken, shattered. He feels anguish and despair. And the next time we encounter Peter, it's three days later. Look at chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' said, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes, you can imagine what's going on in Peter's heart. And soon he does see Jesus. But still the question, where, do, where, do, where does he stand? And right here, there's another key piece in the formation of Peter as a disciple. There is this very familiar scene in John 21. Jesus is by the shore. Peter's with the other disciples. He's gone back to his his fishing they've resumed their vocation and you remember the dialogue right Um, peter and john are there and jesus begins to ask peter do you love me and he tells him three times yes i love you and jesus responds each of those times i want you to feed my sheep i want you to join me in my mission He's saying, this is what it's going to look like for you, Peter. Oh, by the way, at some point, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to be different for John, but I'm calling you to follow me. And I'm calling you to occupy a special role. But I'm calling everyone who follows me to my mission, to what I'm doing. And we see Peter committing himself to the mission. Now, I know we've just done this whirlwind tour through the Gospel of John. I know... It's dangerous to draw some absolute conclusions based on the story of one life, but this is a faithful accounting, and it's here to give us a picture of how Jesus means to call us into something and to radically shape our lives to his person and to his mission. That's why this is here. It helps us to see what Jesus calls us into, what being a disciple is. You ready? A disciple is someone who loves Jesus, who increasingly forms their life around Jesus, and who joins the mission of Jesus. A disciple is someone who loves Jesus, who increasingly forms their life around Jesus, and who joins the mission of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. And that's what we're called to make. Put simply, being a disciple is living a life completely devoted to Jesus. Loving Jesus, completely devoted. Forming my life around Jesus, completely devoted. Joining the mission of Jesus, completely devoted. That's what Jesus has called you and me to be. Now, to bring this to bear even a little bit more closely on our lives, I, I wanna point out two things from what we've just seen with Peter. First, we've gotta notice the seriousness of the call to discipleship. And when I say seriousness, I'm not, I don't mean somberness. By serious, I, I, I just mean Jesus really means it. He's serious. It's clear Jesus means this. He says, in no uncertain terms, I want you to follow me. I want you to spend your life following me. This is what I'm calling you to live for, not something else. And it's not just Peter. Everyone we see here, he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to spend your life following me. This is what I'm calling you to live for. And he means it. And it's not just these guys. Whoever would be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Your life conform to my life. Your life devoted to my mission. Yes, it looks different for each one of us, but it's real. Whether you end up being a pastor or a police officer, a teacher or a tradesman. Listen, Jesus really means this. This loving him, following him, joining his mission. He means that to be the controlling agenda of our lives. Not something else with this Jesus stuff kind of conveniently kind of fitted into some parts of our schedule at a few places. He's calling us to a life of discipleship, and he uses words like follow, which means he wants us to walk a particular path. And he uses words like yoke which means we're not free to just do our own thing. And he uses words like cost which means there's a cost. This is now what your life is about. This is now what you live for. And not as some externally professionally motivated thing but motivated by your experience of Jesus. So fellow pastor, fellow ministry leader, we've got to ask the question, right? Is that what your life is about? Following Jesus, loving Jesus, your life increasingly shaped by his, you joining his mission. Is that what defines your life? Is your life completely devoted You know, we use that phrase, Jesus' mission. What is Jesus' mission? You know, as a boy in the temple, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And later on, he said, this this is my food to do the will of him who sent me. Well, what is the will of him who sent him? The will is to gather a people for God to ransom and redeem and reconcile a people. And then he said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. That's my mission. Or I think about how Paul, the Apostle Paul, says it in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's Jesus' mission, and he calls us to his person and his mission, and he means it. Even though it's challenging, even though it's costly, even though it involves us dying to ourselves, like all the time, which raises a question, doesn't it? Why in the world would I do that? Why would I do that when I don't have to? Why would I do that when there are other ways to go through life? I mean, I could could live just blatantly and selfishly for myself. A lot of people do that. Or I could live respectably for myself. There's a lot of people that do that. I could even live a somewhat committed Christian life, even as a pastor. A lot of people do that. Why would I want to make following Jesus the controlling agenda of my life? Why would I want to be a disciple? Which brings us to the second thing I wanted to point out from what we've seen in the Gospel of John, and that is the magnetic attractiveness of the one who calls us. We've seen the seriousness of the call. I want us also to see the attractiveness of the one who calls us. I think we see this in the tenderness of Jesus toward Peter. Did you notice this all through that narrative? How amazingly tender Jesus was with Peter, how amazingly patient and compassionate and fatherly and brotherly Jesus was. I mean, when you look at the composite picture of Jesus dealings with Peter, it's amazing. His love, his patience, his, his hopefulness, his commitment, it just keeps showing up in things that Jesus says to Peter in things Jesus does for Peter. And that's not just some exception. Jesus was like that with Peter for one simple reason. That's what Jesus is like with those who follow him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, there's a cost, but I'll be right there with you. And I'll speak things to you. And I'll do things for you. Listen, when Jesus calls you to follow him, when when Jesus calls you to discipleship, he isn't calling you to something impossible. He's calling you to himself. And Christ's call for us to be wholly committed to him is completely wrapped up in his prior commitment to us. He is a tender, loving, good shepherd who laid down his life so that you could live and who conquered your sin and your death so that you can be free. He's done everything for us. And then he says, follow me. And he is with us every step of the way as friend and healer and helper and shepherd and sovereign God. I mean, Peter experienced that. And that awakened a deep love and commitment and desire to follow Jesus. I mean, just think back to that scene in John chapter 6, which we've already referenced a couple times. All of those people... Kind of leaving, and Jesus saying, Are you going to go too? And Peter's saying, Lord, where else can we go? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I mean, I read those words, and I don't just hear mental acknowledgement. There is devotion there. It's devotion. Devotion is commitment plus love. And that's what Peter has. We see it. We don't want to go anywhere. We, we want to be with you. Lord, I, just, I'm going to lay, I would lay down my life for you. And at the end of John, remember, Jesus asks him, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? And three times Peter says yes, and at one point he says out of his exasperation, Lord, you know I'm telling the truth. You know that I love you. So why follow Jesus? Why? think about it because it's Jesus you get to follow the more clarity that I get about what he's done in my life the more clarity I get about what he's like the more I'm glad to be following him when he says follow me the first thing I want to be thinking about is I just want to be with you you're walking that path that path looks hard that path looks steep looks kind of scary that's where you're going And you're calling me to follow? Well, you've given me life. You've got my heart. I'm with you. So even though I see following you will cost me and I've gotta give up my, my supposed independence and my supposed freedom, still I'm gonna stay with you and follow you. It's the only place where there's life. All right, let me draw three summary implications from all of this for us as pastors and ministry leaders, and we'll be done with this session. First, implication number one. I said this at the very beginning. I just want to reiterate it again in light of what we've seen. We're disciples first. Before we're pastors. Before we're ministry leaders. Disciple is our identity. Pastor is a role. Pastor is a vocation. Ministry leader is a role. Now obviously they're related We live out our lives as disciples in our pastoring. That's what God's called us to be. We do this thing called disciple-making largely as pastors, but underneath our sense of excitement and privilege at being pastors or ministry leaders, there should be a foundational and burning excitement and sense of privilege at being a Jesus follower. And then out of your excitement about your own discipleship, let there grow an excitement about being able to encourage others to follow Jesus. And let that be the fuel of your pastoring or your ministry. Any pastoring or disciple making that we do must flow out of our own discipleship to Jesus. I just felt like I needed to reiterate that. Because if you are not living as a disciple, you calling others to discipleship is going to ring Hollow certainly it'll ring hollow to God. I think it'll ring hollow to you and at least in some maybe slightly discernible way it's going to ring hollow to the people that you're calling to follow Jesus. Second implication number two discipleship is whole life discipleship. I mean this as opposed to professional discipleship. Now we I think we all know the struggles here and the challenges It probably helps us to assess our lives and to see how this kind of shows up for us. But the bottom line is, again, are we filtering our discipleship through our pastoring or are we filtering our pastoring through our discipleship? Because if we're doing the first thing, the temptation will be very strong to limit our discipleship to the extent of our pastoring. Did you follow me? Um, That is a very dangerous thing. Jesus calls us to whole life discipleship, every single part of your lives. One of the things that helps me to assess this, I I think about this. Those of you guys who have been in ministry for a while and are looking at retirement sometime in the next five to 10 years, I think about this and it scares me. What am I going to be like when I'm not a pastor? Because in God's grace, he's used my pastoring to really help me in the process of sanctification. So what's it going to be like when I'm not protected by and encouraged by this responsibility I have. This is why discipleship has to come first, or it's one of the ways that we can be reminded that discipleship has to come first. We as pastors cannot let our vocations rob our discipleship by funneling it only along the lines of pastoral duty. Following Jesus is a whole life thing, but let me very quickly say, following Jesus is also the best possible life. It's what we were made for. I think discipleship to Jesus is optimal, optimal human existence. Now, third, finally, very briefly, and this will kind of be our segue into our next and final session. I just want to mention the necessity to discipleship of both word and word, and relationship. The necessity to discipleship of both word and relationship. Remember Peter's words back in John 6, you have the words of eternal life. We need the word if we're going to be disciples. That's what I was trying to argue in the session this morning. Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've said. Discipleship depends on word, but It also needs company, especially company that's maybe further along the path of discipleship than we are. Now I suppose, strictly speaking, you can follow Jesus alone. I can imagine some in the history of the church have had to do that, at least in large measure. But the norm, the The picture in the Gospels, the picture in all of the New Testament is life on life. Fellowship. Whether it's in the context of mutual encouragement or whether it's in the context of mentoring. Christians helping other Christians becoming more like Christ. And that's something we'll seek to unpack in our last session in a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, help us, um, help us both to think rightly. But then Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, respond rightly to uh, the clear word of Jesus calling us to be disciples, to love him, to shape our lives around him, and to join him in his mission. God, I pray you would stir a desire um, fueled by what you've done for us. Understanding what has been done for us, I pray that that would fuel our desire, our eagerness, our joy in following and living our lives for Jesus. Lord, help us to not be hypocritical here. And to try to call other people to follow Christ if we're not. And so, Lord, help us to be not perfect, but faithful disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Well, I trust like me, your hearts are being stirred up in your affection and love for Christ through the preaching of God's word.